0: This way comes something, something different, something different, something different. This way comes something, something different, something different. Welcome to the Times Change edition of Something Different This Way Comes. Featuring Muriel Squires, quilter, teacher, and artist with an already fairly long life to look back on. Give us some perspective in this time of crisis and, and urgently needed change. Something different. Also joining us after my conversation with Muriel is my old man, my husband Arno, and our children, Ben and Sam, to talk about how times change from their perspective. But first... I visited Muriel Squires in her home to record our conversation. Muriel Squires is a quilter, a very productive and innovative quilter. I have several of her quilts hanging as beloved artwork in our home, though I'm sure she would prefer that I use them. Muriel Squires was born in Millertown in Interior, Newfoundland, in I think the late 1930s, if my math is right. She was married in 1962, to Forrester, Malcolm Squire, better known as Mac. And it was his work that brought them to Thunder Bay, when their children were still in elementary school, several decades ago. I asked Muriel for this conversation because I needed some perspective on worrisome, scientifically proven facts, and how times change. We spoke a couple weeks ago. Something different this way comes, something, something different this way comes, something different this way comes, something, something different this way comes. Great to have you, Heather. I've known you for a long time, but I know you more now. <laughs> a lot more now. I want to talk about change. So I'm 51. And I've been talking to my kids about things they expect to see change. And it's hard to explain some of the things I've seen change because they didn't happen overnight. But they were pretty profound. Like I think of the way people expected or talked about girls and women in the 80s and the 70s when I was a kid. I think there's been change there, like profound change. And it happened kind of when I wasn't noticing, just sort of, grew upon us as new standards shifted. So when you think of change, and you're older than 51, you don't have to tell me how old, but you're older than 51, mm-hmm. what, what comes to your mind? Well, I
1: certainly agree that there's change in what women are doing. But it, it sort of snuck up on me because I have a cousin. He had five children, four daughters, and they all became engineers. And we also had good friends. They had three daughters. The three of them became engineers. It was unheard of then, especially to have so many. And it was amazing. Women were expected to be barefoot and pregnant and, and not, <laughs> not venture out and show their talents. It was just uh, be a good wife, be a good mother, which is good. But you were limited. So now you can be anything whatever you desire, but I don't um, envy the workload that they have. Being a full-time mother, housekeeper, and hold down responsible job and aiming to do better and better, it must be an awful lot of stress.
0: Well, that's another thing, is I feel like there was more community like when I was a kid running around we would run around outside a lot we lived in many different neighborhoods we moved a lot it wasn't because everybody outside in the neighboring houses had known me my whole life but if they thought I was doing something stupid everybody had permission to tell me to get off that fence or stop baiting that dog or you know whatever it was and similarly there was kind of no uh, No sense that that danger could lurk because there were many eyes, or at least everybody had permission to sort of care for for the kids. I don't know, maybe I'm romanticizing, but do you feel like that was something, too, that that you've seen change in? Yes,
1: definitely. Uh, The neighborhood I live in, the kids have grown up, and I've hardly seen them. They're inside. They don't seem to be outside. They weren't out being involved in the neighborhood, being active outdoors, I guess everything took place in the home, in the school. There was no running up and down the street, and although I did hear that one of them confessed to picking my raspberries at night, but, you know, generally they, they weren't out. It wasn't like when I was a kid or had kids, when kids all got out and played outdoors all the time. Yeah. And as you said, if one did something wrong, there was a parent who usually let... You know that that wasn't right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, my house—it was my my stepdad who was home. My mom who worked the long hours. My stepdad was a writer based at home, and and he basically didn't look outside. We'd have to come inside bleeding before he noticed. It was adults I didn't know at all that just happened to be in the neighborhood that would be reprimanding me and correcting me and getting to know my name. <laughs> But I don't I don't see that as much uh, in, and I don't think anybody decided it was a bad thing or banned it. It just shifted.
1: I think if you were to speak to somebody else's child letting them know that they've done something they shouldn't I think the parents would get annoyed with you probably quite angry. I think we would be afraid to chastise a child now. Yeah. Even in a grocery line-up I, I'd like to speak to a child that's in the grocery cart next to me, just to see the little face light up or whatever. But, you know, some of them are are scared. I think at a very early age they're being taught I have nothing to do with strangers. And it's sad because uh, I think it restricts them in their ability to associate with other people. It gives them a lack of confidence when they're with people they don't know. Uh, I think it's a shame that we're overprotecting them. And I think statistics show that they have more to be scared of from people they know and from people they don't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? So in our fear, we're we're doing things to protect our children that might have unintended consequences that actually cost more than what we're protecting ourselves against. I feel like that's a theme for me lately, looking around and feeling like, there's more fear than is warranted, and there's less connection than is welcome. I like to think of
1: a childhood as been relatively carefree. Let them be children. Leave the worries to the adults. I think back to my childhood. There were children dying from diphtheria, and whooping cough and, and measles. And I wouldn't say they died from mumps, but they're pretty sick. I could name a dozen diseases because either there was no inoculation or inoculation started too late for them. And I like to visit cemeteries in a lot of the places I visit. And I see so many headstones with children's names on them, sometimes three from a family within X number of months. And Look at the date. You can usually tell it was a communicable disease. Well, we don't have to worry about that now. We just have to be concerned that the mothers get their children inoculated. And bingo, they don't get those diseases that kill anymore. And we've forgotten that, that 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 is something that science conquered. And think my own self, I grew up in a time when... Um, Tuberculosis was a killer, worse than cancer is now. It could wipe out whole families because it was caused by bacteria and was catching. No matter what your status was in life, you could get it. No matter what your income, that did not protect you. And luckily, when I got it, medicine had been invented for it. So in a year and a half, I was free to go back to a normal life. But I met people in the sanatorium as a patient, and I went back there teaching for three years. Uh, They told me their stories. They were the only surviving member in their family sometimes. Everybody else had died because this treatment wasn't available. So with, with that in mind, I think we need to reassure people, especially children, that we have problems, but we have people who are going to solve them. We just have to do our bit the best we can, but not worry. Yeah. You know, worry is pointless. Yeah. It's worse than pointless. It's harmful. It doesn't change a thing to worry. I'm a worrier, but I constantly remind myself, everything will still be the same whether I worry or not. So accept it, and as my sister used to tell me, bend with the wind, and hope for the best.
0: The other thing I feel like I had a lot more of than I seem to see among young people now is autonomy, things that I did on my own. And I think my mom encouraged it. She was a farm girl, right? So she just saw everybody's capacity to help out from whatever age. But I think she started finding me work, taking care of people's pets while they're on vacation, and then delivering newspapers. When I was six, seven, eight years old, I'd have tasks that I would do independently out of the house and might earn a bit of money for even sometimes, or at least be expected to help with, right, You know, it's Saturday, go and help. Mrs. Smith on the corner, she needs help getting that lawn-pushing machine out. She's determined to start it herself, but you can go back later and finish off the job. Those sorts of things, right? And I don't see as much of of kids going off on their own and being trusted to do things. But I think we could swing back in that direction and no one would be hurt. I don't think it was a bad thing. I think it's quite good for them. I
1: really do. I I believe in kids being children and having a, a good childhood. But they do need to learn responsibility, initiative. I'm trying to think of if I did anything. (laughs) I certainly had to do my share around the house. Because I was the youngest, I had to do the dusting instead of the scrubbing. But the day came when I had to scrub the floors too. How many in your house? I had an older brother and sister. They were four and five years older than me. Unfortunately, they think I, because I was the youngest I got off easiest, but they left home and I was left to do my work, his work, and her work. So I had three laps. So I had to feed the hens, <laughs> collect the eggs. I had to bring the firewood and store it in the woodshed. <laughs> I had to do my own scrubbing of floors, plus what my sister would have done. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I had work to do, and when I could get the choice job in town selling tickets to the movie when I was in grade 9, 10, and 11, I, I did that. I became treasurer for the Sunday school, taught Sunday school, helped teach the brownies handwork. <laughs> you know, it was all good because I realized yeah. I had to contribute. And as it turned out, I became a teacher. So the the teaching I did in Sunday school in the Brownies, I guess that helped somewhat too. So, uh, you know, I think kids can learn very valuable things by
0: doing odd jobs around the house or for others, whether they get paid or not. I think it gives you a great sense of um, being valued and, and having a place in your community when you're trusted with jobs, even as a little person. But certainly as you get as you get older, there's been a, a lack of paying jobs for young people for a long time. I remember my nieces and trying to find jobs and having to get driven to the jobs was also a problem. Everybody seems to live so far from where the work is and other challenges can get in the way. But I would love to see more inclusion of, of kids as capable beings. In our everyday lives as colleagues too like when the kid helps you out at church cleaning up it's lovely it's lovely to have that extra opportunity to get to know somebody Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yes I certainly agree with that Um, I really don't have much no contact with kids anymore I'm in a neighborhood now where the kids have all grown up my grandkids are in their late 20s and I'm not in contact much with them so Other people have told me what kids are doing.
0: (laughs) But I find that noteworthy, too, because my grandma, uh, she was widowed young. My grandpa died when he was 50, younger than I am now. And she had a farm to run, which she then rented out. She moved to town, a little tiny farming town. And she knew everybody, right? Because she would help someone with jamming and somebody with weeding and somebody with quilting and somebody running the thrift shop and somebody with the church bazaar. And she knew everybody, including every kid that walked by. And that sort of connectedness in community was she, you know, she wasn't a chatterbox. She just quietly was places doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would love for my kids to grow up with that same sort of sense that they have many layers of community around them. The town you grew up in was very small. Do you feel like there were circles of ways that you might not be known well, but but you just kind of knew your place and you knew your way around?
1: Yes, I I grew up in a very small town, which is getting smaller. Actually, I think they have 70 people left there now. (laughs) Yeah, we knew everybody in town. Everybody knew your business, and everybody... I wouldn't say everybody was there to help you, but I'm sure they were helping their immediate neighbors or if they had relatives in town they were they were there to help also there were so few services in town that people became expert at things that they'd never been trained in for instance my mother became a hairdresser but she had no training (laughs) and she was a barber it was all through doing You know, you do, you learn, you you get better at it, and then people hear about you and they say, oh, I like what you did, and and so and so, and can you do the same for me, which
0: they did. I love that notion. I love that we can we can do so many more things than we might have been officially trained for. I certainly my own life has taken a few left hand turns where I I did one thing and then I decided there's another opportunity. I'm going to do something quite different. I think that's a sign of a, a rich life when life hands you a chance to gain a new skill and maybe a whole new circle of of influence. Yes, I I agree with you. I can't
1: imagine getting a job and sticking with it till retirement time. I guess technically I remained a teacher, but because I had been a patient in sanatorium, I got interested in going back there, and for three years my job was to teach people in their beds. When was this? What years? Uh, This was 54, 57. It was adults only, so I taught adults. These were adults who wanted to improve their education so when they left, they didn't have to go back to a physical grinding job, hopefully get something easier on their health. Then we had children, so I would teach the children. There were three teachers, actually, in time because it was a big 270 beds, I think. Where was it? This was in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. And another time I became what they call a remedial teacher. Kids who had difficulty with certain subjects, I would take them out and teach them individually. And then there was opportunity teacher. They had fancy names back then. We'd teach kids crafts so that hopefully if they succeeded in crafts, their confidence would get built up and that would overflow into dealing with the three R's. Then I became an adult education teacher, teaching quilting, duffel embroidery, and all kinds of things. I was constantly changing, and even if it was school teaching, I I would go to a different town. Happy Wanderer.
0: (laughs) I seemed to uh, want to move on to something different. Well, I do think of you as such a creative person. Cause that's how I got to know you first is being gobsmacked fall in love with your art as a quilter I can't keep up with the things you do you do so much and lately you've been posting on Facebook this project to finish all your scraps and create something original with your scraps which I love but but how did you even get started with with quilting that I think of as such a part of who Muriel is and what she does with her days where did that journey begin The first time I saw a quilt and a quilter who was making it
1: was the first year I was married, 1962. We were living in Fredericton, New Brunswick, as Mac was completing his degree. And our next-door neighbor in the apartment building, she showed me the quilt she was making all by hand. Every stitch in it was by hand. And I didn't say to her, but I thought, what a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I thought, oh, get a life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was fine. After uh, Mac graduated, we went to Grand Falls, Newfoundland, to live, and we were in a company duplex, and the next-door neighbor, she had three kids under the age of two and a half, wow. and she quilted them. <laughs> anyway she convinced me that because I had no kids and nothing to do that I had to become a quilter so she gave me the wrapper off of a batting and on it was two shapes no instructions just cut out (laughs) so many circles and so many petals and I'd have a flower and a quilt anyway I, I got interested in it but it was one of many many hobbies I had Oh, yeah, and I forgot to say, I went to MacDonald College and took crafts there, years, of course. Anyway, when I came to Thunder Bay to live, I was still doing all those different crafts, but I started going to what they call the Newcomers Club, which was part of Welcome Wagon to help people settle into Thunder Bay and learn about Thunder Bay. The lady who was running it said... um, do you know that at Westgate High School you can go and take quilting classes every Tuesday afternoon, which I did. I didn't tell anybody I would already been hired when Newfoundland government teach quilting. <laughs> I just went and learned more and more from this teacher. She was wonderful. And uh, I really got hooked on it. And then I started selling my work here, and I thought, I can't be really good at everything, so I'd better trim it down and focus on certain things anyway quilting won the day so I became mainly a quilter and uh, I find that no matter how much I learn there's always more to learn but in the last five years I learned that I better not buy any more fabric because I had too much and it's time for me to slow down
0: I'm sorry Muriel you're slowing down you're not slowing down very much you're only working six days a week now at quilting. That's right. And I,
1: I quit at 4 o'clock instead of 10 at night. <laughs> anyway, uh, I determined that I want fabric to go before I do. <laughs> so I, I'm using everything that I have and buy only what I need to finish a project. <laughs> and it's it's a fun thing to do because I look at this bunch of stuff and say, what am I going to do with it? What can I make? And that really gets the creative juices going far more than if I went out and bought a pattern. I just don't use patterns anymore. This is much more fun.
0: And it's fun for for appreciators of your art because it's truly unique. What you're going to do next and how are you going to put it together? I don't think you'll see another one like it. <laughs>
1: no, because I have an aversion to making the same thing twice, which works in quilting, but it doesn't work with, say, cooking a meal or washing the dishes or doing the laundry. We all have our strengths. I, I, I just detest doing the same
0: thing twice. Oh, I think that's one of the reasons we get along. It's, I get teased in my family because they all have a fondness of, of doing things over again the exact same way as it worked the last time. And I don't. I can only do it the same way so many times and then I can't do it anymore. I just can't. So I get teased for it. So I'm glad you feel the same way as I do. <laughs> <laughs> Including how I stack the dishes, which drives my husband crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so one other the things when you're chatting before that you mentioned is my son, Ben when he was dreaming of changes that he thinks make perfect sense, and he just doesn't understand we're not doing it yet, is not disposing of quite as much stuff. He would love to see people refilling containers instead of always buying a new plastic bottle every time they buy a new container of peanut butter and so on. And there is a local company that refills some things, but you were remembering how you bought things growing up. <laughs> yes, it
1: was certainly different. you didn't have plastic containers or plastic bags for that matter. You went to the store and if you wanted peanut butter, the man behind the counter or whoever else was there that day would put wax paper on a big scale and slap on peanut butter till it got the quantity you wanted and then that would be rolled up. If you wanted molasses, you brought in your own container and got it poured in. If you wanted bologna, your mother would tell you what number it had to be sliced on, and it would be sliced for you, the, the amount you wanted, how thick you wanted. Everything was like that, and it was all put in a paper bag or wrapped up in brown paper, which was on the big roll and tied up with string. Of course, you saved the string. You wouldn't throw that out, and you wouldn't throw out the brown paper because Books had to be covered. You did not go to school with your without paper wrapping on the outside because those books had to be passed down to the next one in the family and the next, or sold to somebody who needed it. Also, you were sending a parcel to somebody. The paper had to be saved to wrap the parcel in. Nothing was thrown out. We used to even... In the latter years, my mother always kept plastic bags and washed them. She had a drawer that she put them in, and I find I'm doing the same thing. And she had little bits of paper everywhere on the back of an envelope. She didn't buy notebooks or anything like that. Of course, it had to be written on both sides. In our scribblers in school, we wrote on both sides. And it wasn't a terrible hardship.
0: It wasn't hard. It
1: was just a way of life. We didn't know any different. And, uh, well, my parents got married as teenagers the year the Depression started. They had nothing, absolutely nothing. And therefore, they had to work very hard to get what they had. And their goal was to have their own house. Dad was to build it. So it was my mother's responsibility to handle the money very wisely so there'd be enough money to buy some lumber or get some shingles or whatever was the next stage of building this house, which they started in 1939, which was another bad year, the war starting. So uh, it was not drilled into us, it was just her way of doing things, and of course you copy your parents. So we learned to be frugal too, which today is probably a dirty word, but... I don't know that word was even used back then, but we were taught to use and reuse. My mother was a seamstress by trade, and she made all her clothes. She made just about everything that was in in the house, even oilskin clothes, rain clothes for my brother. She made pillows because we had hens, and you know the feathers off the off the hens went into the pillows and. Uh, everything. She didn't make my father's clothing, but she made hers, and she made mine and my sister's. We had originals. (laughs) Nobody else had dresses like we did.
0: (laughs) I want to talk a little bit again about change, because when we were speaking earlier, I talked about my son Ben getting so upset because he was being educated by a film about how serious climate change is, And he was concerned that we won't fix the problem and there is no future. And he found for me another video that said there's families, young people choosing not to have children because they're so concerned about the future that child would be born into. And then tried to show that actually there's been a lot of positive change in the last 10 years that we just don't hear a lot about and that has improved our odds already and can continue to move us in the right direction. So what's your experience with, with being very afraid for the future and how change that was more positive can come about? Are you thinking of the situation
1: when we were told that there wouldn't be enough food to feed the people? Uh, we were married in 62, and a couple of years later we said, well, it's time to start a family, but that's when CBC announcers were pushing the fact that they were afraid there would not be enough food in the world. They had facts and figures to show that, but they were stressing the point that we need to restrict the number of children. We did not need to have a larger population anywhere in the world because within X number of years there's going to be a lot of starvation. So we sort of thought maybe we should not have children. So. I can see that people would think it again now because of a lot of negative news. But uh, we did have a family, and uh, they're in their 50s now, (laughs) mid-50s, and they haven't starved, I think they're eating quite well. And uh, I think that maybe there's been a lot of um, knowledge put to use on how to grow more on less land, and probably distribute it more fairly around the world. I'm trusting that there are people who make that their objective in
0: life the same as we have people in
1: Thunder Bay concerned about the hungry here.
0: So it's not just necessarily what you're hearing about that's going on. If something really clearly needs to be done, then probably more is being done to address it than you can keep up with. There are
1: more people doing more things to help than we're ever aware of. I think we need to have more positive news about the good things that are being done, the, the worries that are been taken care of. Not to the point that we say, oh, everything is okay, you know, I don't have to do anything myself because you know, there's no problem with this now and there's no problem with that. I, I think we still need to be aware that we can't waste. I have a terrible <laughs> attitude toward people who waste. It just makes me grind my teeth. Um, I act sometimes as if we don't have an income because I don't throw out anything until I look at it and see if it has another use. And I've got my husband trained to do the same thing. He'll always come to me and say, do you have a use for this? It's yes or no. (laughs) So... um,
0: But it gives you a great wealth, really to see everything as having more than one use, like you have that many more things in some ways mm-hmm. and that many less needs if you can manage with what you have. I think it makes us appreciate more what
1: we've got. It's not a uh, really annoying when people say, if you haven't used it in a year, throw it out. I never throw out. <laughs> in fact, the thrift store loves to see us come because <laughs> we take hundreds of things there every year. There is a use for it. And therefore, it means that I don't have to buy another, or if I give it away, somebody else gets it for very little and they can find another use for it. That's one of my projects in life is to,
0: um, to reuse, to make do, fix up. And make beautiful. You, you do make beautiful, too. What do you think is the value of beautiful? You know, I have a family with a lot of artists in it. When COVID shut everything down, half of us were deemed non-essential because we were artists. And it really provoked me to think about what is essential in life? Where is the value? What are we aiming for? Personally, I think community and relationships and beauty that we share is pretty essential. It adds a lot of value to my life. I think beauty is very
1: important in people's lives. Now, I probably have a lot of what people call bric-a-brac, and they lament that you have to the dust them and so on. But to me, they're beauty, and I can't live without beauty. I can't live without color. And most of the things I have in the bric-a-bracs are memories of places I visited or they're gifts from people that I love and I want to remember them and when I look at the article I see them more than the article and uh, perhaps it's part of my age but this beauty makes me happy to be alive and to create something that's useful and beautiful makes my life worthwhile.
0: This has been so lovely speaking to you Muriel. Thank you, Heather. I
1: hope it hasn't been too boring.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. I really enjoyed it. Something different, this way comes something, something different, something different. I love Muriel's quest to use up all her stash of quilting material and to not waste. When she said that, when she looks at her you know, kind of random collection of scraps left over from past projects and imagines what she can put together out of them that's both beautiful and useful, that really fires up her creative juices way more than if she were just following a given pattern. And when she said that, I thought of Thunder Bay. And how many ways we could take what we already have here, the people, the places, the skills, the capacity, and and make up our own solutions to better prepare for and make it through what's coming our way, wild weather, refugees of the climate crisis. And and to better include, care for, and, and make the most of everyone in our community, young and old and in between, how we got here and what has shaped us is more of an asset than a challenge. You know, I'm just thinking of this pulling together a one-of-a-kind beautiful quilt of what we already have here in Thunder Bay with just, just that few little odds and ends we need to make it hang beautifully without waiting for a pattern to follow from some other community or, or a government plan. Anyway, I, I thought of that metaphor. I thought it was, I thought it was f- suitable. Also love how Muriel values our capacity to do, to learn, to make, to change it up. She said that no matter how much we learn, there is always more to learn. Like that made her happy. And she was so eloquent on the value of beauty. Beauty. It makes life worth living. How's that for an endorsement? Wishes, that our children felt safer, worried less, that they had more freedom to roam and, and own their neighborhoods, like she had in her childhood, I had in, in my childhood, and, and she knew when her kids were young. She wishes she saw more kids. said she wishes our our kids worried less, and and that we all heard more about how worrisome things are being solved by all the people beyond count doing things that help so we could focus on doing our part, be a little clearer on on what does help and, and what we expect from the systems we're a part of and the people around us, with more confidence that, like the communicable diseases that no longer ravage as they once did when she was young, and the fear of populations outpacing food supplies that had people of her generation wondering if they should have kids, like young people today wonder if they should have kids. More people are doing more good to address these terrible risks than we can ever know, and worrying about the things we cannot change is dangerous. So just boil it down. Do what you can do. That's essential. But don't let the worrying wear you down. She certainly gave me the longer, deeper perspective that I knew I needed. So, I invited Ben and Sam and Arno to chat as well. I wanted to hear their thoughts on how times change. But first, I asked my old man, Arno. I don't think he's going to like that I'm calling him my old man. But I asked him to step into my Blanket Fort studio to chat. Something different this way comes. Something different this way comes. Thank you for joining me in my little recording studio. You're welcome. (laughs) So, you have lived on this farm your whole life since you were two. When I say times change, what comes to mind?
2: I think... My uh, impression of where we are now versus when I was the boy's age is we were more self-sufficient. Growing up on the farm, we grew most of what we ate. Uh, Not a lot was store-bought. And also, um, we valued what we had, be it possessions or time. So very few things were new they were hand me-downs but we looked after them we would repair them or and they were repairable everything from clothing to appliances to tools
0: i remember you mentioning even your tv
2: yes back in the day our tv was vacuum tubes and my dad had a friend who was a bit of a tinkerer himself in electronics and so if the TV had a problem, and it was usually a vacuum tube, he would bring it over to this fella who would repair it in his uh, little workshop. So everything was repairable, and, uh, it wasn't, and it was repairable by people you knew.
0: So you didn't have to know how to do everything yourself, but you'd have to be willing to ask around and say, Has anybody managed this before? And, and kind of having more experience is as good as expertise if there's no experts around.
2: Yes and no. Um, for my father was a sense of pride to try and do everything himself, but that wasn't always successful. But <laughs> there was a lot that if you knew somebody that was capable of doing something, you would turn to that person. So we repairs and things like that were done in a network. It was friends and associates that were doing repairs and things like that. So it was Collaborative. You would do something for them and they would do something for you. and And things were repairable. Like, now things are made to be more fuel-efficient, energy-efficient, but we've also, in this day of disposable, we've given up the ability to repair things. Once they break, we throw them out. And I think it's designed that way, intentionally, so that we are forced to buy something new again. Hopefully... Uh, That'll change, where the right to repair is something that's uh, more prevalent. And, um, yeah, even appliances. um, The old avocado green refrigerator would outlast the person, as opposed to uh, today's refrigerator might get two years out of it.
0: (laughs) The other thing, though, was all of this self-sufficiency and collaborative making do and gaining skills it took time and we seem so busy now like how what would you see changing if we are going to become more self-sufficient again
2: um you would put more value on your time i think we've grown to expect much more free time and then not value it when we do have free time so we expect to always have several trips or whatever it may be, but I remember it might be the one trip every other year, or you went somewhere to visit a friend um, once in a while, and it was a big deal. So you really appreciated that time together as a family or out. You valued your time, be it free time, be it time to do what was necessary to keep the farm running and things like that. So When opportunities came to have some leisure or some fun time, that it was valued. Thanks, hon. You're welcome.
0: That was my husband, Arno, who's lived on this farm where we all now live since he was two. Arno left to mow the lawn, and then Ben and Sam joined me. Ben, do you know any kids who have died? Um,
3: well, I mean, I haven't talked to any in a while.
0: Goofball. How about you, Sam?
4: Well, um, perhaps count ella but like i really only know of her i didn't really ever know her she she died before i was born
0: so so when muriel was a kid the woman i was just talking to she knew dozens of kids who died of dozens of diseases in fact whole families They died of things like diphtheria, whooping cough, measles, tuberculosis. But that's not been your experience. So here is a pop quiz question. What has changed since the 1930s?
4: Vaccines and medicine and all that other stuff.
0: So how does that make you feel that within a lifetime, something that used to kill so many children and decimate so many families has been? basically disappeared it didn't happen in the snap of like somebody invented the vaccines people had to be convinced to try it they had to figure out how to get it to everybody they had to convince everybody to do it you know it didn't happen overnight but it has happened in not very long period of time
3: yeah it really it really says a lot about how our technology how we live in the world can be improved and how we affect the earth crazy things can happen crazy quickly
0: Another thing she said was when she was old enough to have kids back in the 1960s, she and her husband sat down and said, should we? Would it be responsible? Because all the news at that time was about how the population was exploding so fast that we would not be able to feed everybody and we would all die of starvation. So it would be wrong to bear children because those children would starve. Since the 1960s, there are way too many hungry people, but it's not because there's not enough food.
3: It's because it's not distributed as well as it
0: could be. Yeah. Even though the signs at the time and the numbers were good, what does that remind you of?
4: Climate change. Because, like, for us, if we continue to do what we are doing right now and have been doing for quite a while, if we continue to do that, then climate change is going to get worse and worse and worse until it is irreversible. By that time, maybe it won't have, like, killed everyone. Yeah, no, it won't have done that. But, like, it will be irreversible. So I feel like it's a bit more depressing to be like, we can't stop it.
0: What Muriel said was, like, here's two or three times in her life where it looked like it's not worth daring to hope for the future because the the future looks bad. And yet the solution to the future she heard almost nothing about. It clearly got solved, but it was sort of outside of what she personally could deal with. She just had to do her part as she was directed, and things did improve. She felt like, right now, the worry's landing too much on our shoulders, when in fact we should just be expecting it to be solved. What do you think? I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought that in the 60s some families would be thinking, I can't have kids into this world. There's no future for children in this world. When in fact there was. That was really interesting to me. Another thing Muriel talked about was when she was young, disposable plastic wasn't a thing. Disposable anything wasn't a thing. So when she was sent to the store to pick something up, even if it was peanut butter, it would just be weighed on a piece of Wax paper, brown paper wrapped up with string. And when she took it home, you'd carefully unwrap it and hold on to all the packaging because that too would be reused. Sometimes it seems impossible to imagine everybody changing the way that we package and buy and ship stuff around. But Muriel remembers a difference not that long ago.
4: That sounds incredible. That reminds me of the place at goods and co where you can refill your soap not sponsored but um that sounds like a really good idea it's something we should definitely do i don't know why
0: we stopped doing it another thing muriel talked about was how much everybody in her family was expected to help to the best of their ability growing up and your dad talked about that too the chores that he was expected to do from as as soon as he was old enough to walk and talk, basically, that would expand as his capacity grew, and how valuable that was to the family. It allowed them to live pretty self-sustaining lives. Most of the food that they ate when he was growing up, they grew here, they raised here, they traded or bartered with other neighbors for, they didn't go to the grocery store much at all. You guys have chores. You totally help out around here. Do you think that's a burden or a blessing? Would you like to be trusted with more of them or relieved of most of them?
3: Trusted with more of them all the way, totally.
4: Well, there's a few that I'd like to have and a few that I like to not have, but like I wouldn't say it's completely like, I don't want as many chores, or yes, I do want way more chores. It's like, yeah, I want want different
0: chores. But nonetheless, somebody's got to do them. But you like it when you are trusted as part of the family to help take care of things.
3: Yes. I'd be really happy because it's something that I need to be able to do. I would really love to be able to actually do that.
0: Right. Yeah. The work has to get done. You're not going to learn how to do it if you're not allowed to follow along and learn. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here we've been talking about Muriel. She's lived a long life. She's lived a few different places. And she's seen things change. We talked about some of the things from her era that are before our era, but remind us of what might come again. So now when I say times change, what comes to mind? Well,
4: what has changed and what I hope and want to have changed after this discussion, especially on the medicine front, um... That That's definitely given me more hope.
0: How about you, Ben?
3: Yeah, I, it really comes to mind a lot of things based on how our current technology and knowledge evolves over time.
0: One of the things Muriel said is that there's more people doing good out there in the world that are making a difference than you could ever keep up with. So you just need to do what you can do and let us as a group improve things stop worrying worrying doesn't fix anything just do your part and expect improvement does that give you hope yeah it really does one thing
4: about that is that do note that do not expect change after not doing anything like expect change when you help do not say, oh, I should just expect it to change. Like, I don't have to do anything. Just expect it to change. That that won't help anyone. Even if you think, oh, well, I'm just one person. One person not doing it won't help. If you think like that, people will look around. Maybe, like, one person will just see you doing that and be like, oh, okay. Uh, I'm just, just, like, two people. Then, like, people will look at each other, see what they're doing. And no one will be doing anything. So be the change you want to see.
0: That's a really good point. What I was thinking was if you give up, right? If you just say it's never going to change. I'm just tired of hoping. I give up. Then it's really hard for things to change. Because nobody's even hoping for it. So I was like if you expect it, say okay. I can't do it all by myself. But I do expect to see change. I'm here to help make change happen, then we'll be helpful. But all if you do is sit around and not change anything yourself and not talk about the change you want to see in the world and not support the change you want to see in the world, well, you're a force against it happening. It's like the little who. Remember in uh, Horton Hears a Who? And the whole town is all screaming to try to save their little dandelion fluff. But it can't be heard until the one littlest one with the smallest voice actually opens his mouth. And adds it to the chorus. We're all the littlest two. It's hard to speak up. But it could make all the difference.
4: Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. So
0: be the change you want to see in the world. What are some changes you're thinking of today. You'd like to see in Thunder Bay.
4: Well. To summarize what we have said. I want to see. Way more refill. Places where you can like refill a peanut butter container or refill shampoo or juice or pop and like you don't have to get another container every time and i also would like to see in general an improvement in climate change and probably i'd also want to see more learning by doing
0: how about you ben what is in your mind of change you'd like to see that make you feel better about climate change?
3: Well, um in our community, I'd like to see more a lot more involvement in the community on like the school's half. So when you go f- to a field trip, it's not just to catch bugs or something off in some random pond. It's to go actually like help in some community event or something like that.
0: Cool. Yeah. That's great. I would like to see windmills and solar power and Thunder Bay creating its own renewable energy visibly in front of me all over the place. I'd like to see that construction happening everywhere.
4: Yeah, I agree. Like, any renewable power source, I support. I support them all the way.
0: Excellent. And also, I'd like to see more people eating and growing more local food.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's really huge
0: eat your greens (laughs) okay thanks guys for being in my uh well a for letting me use your space to be my recording studio and then for joining me in it
4: you're very much welcome
0: yes you're very much welcome Sam are my sons. I love that Muriel's perspective gave them hope. That we know, we already know, we've done it before, how, how to waste less and to learn more, how to manage and teach one another how to value our time and our resources differently. A little bit of perspective can go a long way. I also love that Ben and Sam would welcome a chance to do more. For more chores to more valued work out in the community. So, thank you, Muriel Squires, for that conversation and for welcoming me into your home. By the way, as we wrapped up our conversation, Muriel's husband, Mac, joined us and said that he had an interview the very next day with Kevin from the YouTube channel Kevin Outdoors to talk about how forests rebound after fire or harvesting, since Mac, of course, is a forester. He mentioned is one of the things I'm going to talk about, is why Mac takes pictures of mushrooms in forests. So I had to track down that video, which was posted before this came out, and I can recommend it. It's it's great. Uh, you can find a link to it at www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca where you'll also find transcripts from today's and all the editions thus far and details of all the the books and articles and movies and studies and podcasts and news that I recommend and have referenced on my blog. Look for Reference Library of Hope for all kinds of suggestions and recommendations. At www.somethingdifferentthiswaycomes.ca, you can join my newsletter. It comes out once a week for behind-the-scenes stories and sneak peeks and upcoming editions. You can also donate to help defray the cost of making this podcast. That would be great. You can also make such a difference if you rate the show, recommend it to a friend or online, review it. It all adds up great ways to help make Something Different This Way Comes keep happening. My name is is Heather McLeod and this podcast is my idea my production my composition my script my baby thank you for listening join me again next Tuesday for the getting to know home edition of Something Different This Way Comes with the wonderful Lita McKellar Sustainability Coordinator at Lakehead University Something Different This Way Comes Something Something different, Something different Something different This way comes something Something different, Something different